0: all right welcome back to the natural health 365 podcast today i am with a very special friend and guest joel thank you so much for being with us i appreciate you man
1: thank you it's a delight and an honor yes
0: oh it's an honor for me as well listen i I like to call you america's farmer i don't know if you like that title but Uh, It's a lot to learn today about food. It seems like everybody's only talking about virus and injections and therapeutics. And we must test people, test people, test people to see if they have a virus. Like we've never had a virus in us or a bacteria or anything. And nobody, nobody is talking about how food is fundamental To a strong immune system, I mean, right, Joel? What's going on here, huh?
1: Well, um, you know what we've done is we have we have uh, cheated, if you will. We have cheated our food system from you know uh, trying to maintain fertility in the soil, which which is supposed to be so complex that you know, there, there are more, there are more beings in a double handful of healthy soil than there are people on the face of the earth. It's that complex. And yet, you know, mainstream industrial orthodoxy, the narrative is, oh, you just dump some chemical NPK on it, nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus, that's all you need, and everything's fine. And so what's happened is we have, we have, uh, uh, well, you know, uh, Sir Albert Howard wrote about this when he wrote, agricultural testament back in 1950 and uh, he, he used the word artificial manures for chemical fertilizers he called them artificial manures he said when we use artificial manures we make artificial plants that then make artificial animals which then create artificial people who can only be kept alive with artificials and that was written in like 1943 so how prescient you know was he
0: You know, it's interesting what you're bringing up already as I'm listening to you talk. This whole idea, and I'm sure you shake your head at it all the time, and I'd love for you to speak to it, is we have to kill everything like bugs and pests and rodents. Everything's got to be killed. You can only grow food, like you say, by spraying all these chemicals. Joel, are you doing this on your farm? How on earth do you grow food?
1: No, we're not doing this on our farm. So our whole belief system is about the terrain, the habitat. Uh, In in the totality of things, uh, actually, you know, there's there's about 90, all bugs, I mean, microscopic bugs, all bugs, um, 95% are good, 5% are pathogenic. Really, you know, nature has stacked the deck to where the good bugs should beat the bad bugs. And so, you know, a perfect example of this is, like when we raise chicks, so we raise chicks, uh, chickens. We get these little chicks, and of course they've got to be brooded. They they can't you, little chick you can't just throw it outside, and um, and of course you know in in the old backyard days they they um, they were stayed warm under their mother, uh, but you know in the commercial like we're doing you know, you can't have a, a mother hen for every every couple of chicks. So uh, we we raise them in a brooder, and that brooder you know has uh, has heat in it we call those hovers. And, um, but, but, you know, of course the chicks, they're not potty trained. They, they just poop at will. And so where's that poop going to go? And so, um, we actually maintain a deep bedding, um, uh, of, of, uh, wood shavings and this carbonaceous, we call it a carbonaceous diaper provides a, uh, it, it's real deep. So unlike most places, we don't just have one or two inches. We have it deep enough so that a composting process can happen. There are a few things as um, as as healthful in nature as a compost pile. You know, it it, it it self-medicates, it self-regulates, it self-purifies, it self-balances. You know, it, it, it's a wonderful thing. And, and so by running a deep bedding process as opposed to a very narrow bedding, by having a very deep bedding, um, it gives enough uh, mass in there, volume in there for all of these, uh, for, for, the, for the, the protozoa and the bacteria and the microbes and the good bugs to be able to have a, a great uh, terrain, a great habitat. And they then beat the bad bugs. And um, so that's just, that's just one example on the farm of creating a terrain that, that, is, that is strategically uh, developed in order to maintain a complete, complex diversity of, of, um, of bugs so that the good, ones, the good ones are able to win.
0: Talk a little bit, Joel, about what your farm is actually doing. You have a lot going on, don't you?
1: Well, we do. We, 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 so we're in livestock. We're in, we're in animals. And so we have beef, pork, chicken, turkey, eggs, duck, lamb, rabbit, uh, it's a it's a pretty wide array and and so, and but none of these none of these is in what we'd call a factory a factory farm situation or a, a concentrated animal feeding operation rather we want each one to be um, to be offered a habitat that allows it to fully express its its phenotypical or its physiological distinctiveness that's why we talk about you know respecting the pigness of the pig and the chickenness of the chicken. Um, uh, so so that so that what you find is that a stress-free, happy animal is also an animal with the best immunological function. An animal that lives with a really great diet uh, and a great uh, exercise program and and light and the right social the right amount of social um, interaction, not too much, not too little. Um, All of those factors uh, uh, add into a cumulative um, balance of, of health and vitality. And so as a result, we, you know, essentially we don't even, even though we raise thousands and thousands of animals um, we don't even have a we don't even have an expense category called uh, veterinary services. Uh, you know, not occasionally you do lose an animal, but it, but it's so occasional and so minor that w- we end up, you know, not having, uh, not having those kinds of issues, which of course, plague most farms. Most farms are constantly, Oh no, what's sick today? Oh no. What, you know, that sort of thing. And so when, on, on, on the industrial, the regular uh, um, industrial farm today, when an animal gets sick, for example, the first thought through the farmer's mind is, Oh, I must not have used the right vaccine or the right medication or the right whatever. Our first thought is, Okay, what did we do to break down the immunological terrain that allowed whatever this sickness is to get into the animal? So we look introspectively at a management problem, the conventional view is to look outwardly at, at I'm a victim of, of, of a wrong, um, somebody gave me the wrong stuff, you know, as opposed to I'm, I'm managing and I'm supposed to be, uh, working with health here, not just, not just trying to forestall sickness, uh, with, with something from outside. I know a lot of
0: people, Joel, you understand this too, who are watching this program, they already get it, but there are millions and millions of people that are so disconnected to so many of the things that you just talked about, about respecting each and every form of life. I mean, it was just amazing all the things you just said. I know you say it all the time, so you're probably like, it's just regular for me, Jonathan, but respecting life, the way each life form is grown, make sure they're happy, they're healthy, You don't over-medicate. You don't give drugs to keep something healthy, an animal healthy. It's it's like a microcosm. What's happening in your farm is the way we should also be treating human beings, which is just another form of animal. I mean, my mind was going in all different places when you were talking about what you do on your farm is exactly what we should be doing in treating people. We should be focusing on their inner terrain. I've been saying often the last few weeks, Joel— The mask that we should all be wearing is a much healthier, stronger immune system. Now, how do we get busy to do that? Talk a little bit more about what you're doing to keep your farm so happy, healthy, vibrant. And you're super busy these days, right?
1: Oh, yeah, we are. Uh, We are. And and certainly the the pandemic. I mean, our joke around here is uh, if we had known the pandemic would be such a great marketing strategy for authentic food, we'd have ordered it up three years ago. <laughs> uh, so, yes, we, we, we've been crushed with sales, with, you know, with people wanting uh, information, uh, backyard chickens. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the city. Uh, I want to buy a little acreage. You know, what do I where do I buy? How do I start? And so uh, and so. Uh, essentially, we're looking at at each animal and plant. Um, the plants are the same thing, and we're saying, so what? What's nature's template? What's nature's template for vigor and for functionality? And you know, uh, back I'm sure you remember Jonathan back uh, whatever it's been now 25 years ago, when the industry began feeding dead cows to cows, and uh, the 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 U.S. I call it the U.S. duh. Uh, offered free seminars for farmers like me to go and learn this new scientific method of feeding dead cows to cows. And, and, um, you know, at that time, nobody knew that there was going to be a problem with it. But, but, you know, I looked at that and, and other farmers like me that are coming from this, this uh, more, you know, holistic, we're all connected type of paradigm. And we looked at it this and said, wait a minute, wait, a minute, wait, wait, there's no place in nature where an herbivore where an herbivore eats carrion. I mean, show me the place. And, and so our farm and other farms, like us, we did not, we did not buy into that. Not because we hated science or hated progress or, you know, didn't want to uh, uh, whatever, raise a drop expenses. We didn't do it because there was not a nature's template that, that indicated that such a relationship was okay. And so, of course, we were laughed at and told, you know, we were Luddites and barbarians and, what do you want to do? Go back to caves and all this stuff. Well, then, you know, 25, 30 years later, suddenly we have bovine spongiform encephalopathy, known as mad cow disease. And suddenly, you know, the whole global scientific community says, oops, maybe we shouldn't have done that, right? You know, and, and so, so who was right? So so the, the point is that we make decisions not just based on what we can do because, you know, we're really clever. We can do things that hurt us. My dad used to call this overrunning our headlights. We can overrun our headlights, you know, with, with creativity, with innovation. We rather ask not what can we do, but what should we do that is in within this beautiful uh, uh, nature's balance and 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 honor of of a template, and so uh, a- as we do that, what happens is we find that my goodness, uh, we can farm commercially, and we also have more wildlife, we have more pollinators, we have more water, we have more commons, uh, we grow soil, uh, a- a- and farming is not an extractive. Uh, an extractive activity. It's actually, it can actually be a regenerative activity. And so all of the, you know, all of these negatives and and problems start to ease away when we look and say, what is nature's template? And how do we, how do we uh, duplicate the order, the order of nature, um, you know, on a, on a commercial domestic scale?
0: Joel, what do you say to people, because you mentioned it just briefly, right, that sort of attitude out there, right, of the skeptics who listen to the way you speak. Can you really feed the world, right, with your system of the way you grow, the way you raise animals in your farm? What do we do about all the hungry people out there? What do you, I mean, speak to those farmers out there, those skeptics. What do you say to them?
1: Sure, sure. Well, first of all, nobody in the world goes hungry because there's not enough food. For the first time in human history, we are now—depending on what you know, data source or statistician you read after— for the first time in human history, we are throwing away up to 50 percent of all the human edible food in the world. It it spoils. It gets it it's uh, it's too long. It's too short. It's got a little blemish. It, you know, it, it sat on a dock, the sell-by day ran out. I mean, there, there's the, the amount, I mean, this is why we have a whole, uh, a, a, a whole plethora of dumpster diving now. You can, you can live out of, out of uh, <laughs> dumpsters with all the, the wasted food. Um, and and so, 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 first of all, nobody in the world is starving because there's not enough food. Now, are people starving? Absolutely, but it's not because there's not enough food. It's social political stuff. It's, you know, some some warlord won't let a Red Cross truck pass a you know, uh, pass into a village without extracting a, you know, some sort of a bribe that the, you know, that the folks can't pay or, you know, there's Those those types of things. It's not because there's not enough food. Number two, number two. um, That is that our side I'll almost say our side—the regenerative, you know—you can call it organic, ecological, authentic, integrity. I don't care what you call it, but but the the non-chemical, <laughs> the non-chemical, non-industrial side, um, our side has not been sitting still. Um, uh, you know, if you go back to the 1950s, when our side needed fertility with compost piles and things like that, we were suffering from not having. The infrastructure, front-end loaders, wood chippers, carbon handling capacity, uh, to be able to, um, you know, uh, foliar foliar sprays, fish emulsion, uh, to be able to use waste streams and, and uh, and and and, the, and technology, to be able to keep up with the the chemical folks, um, right? At that time, now. We haven't been sitting on our hands. All of our infrastructure is caught up now. I mean, electric fence to be able to, you know, to be able to move cows around. Uh, I mean, in our county, for example, in in our, on our farm right now, we get five times the county average of production on our pastures, five times the county average. That's not because, I'm not saying that proudly. I'm saying that humbly, that's how powerful nature is. We've got this idea that nature is a is a reluctant partner. We've got we've gotta, you know, get nature in a half Nelson and I'm gonna wrestle you and I'm gonna meet you too. You know, we got this kind of uh, idea where we've gotta subdue and, and, and all this. and actually nature is a benevolent lover that just wants to be caressed in the right places. That's all. And, and that's a that's a very different way uh to look at life and to look at nature.
0: Yeah, I love I love what you're saying because it's about harnessing like like what you're busy doing all the time and by the way just real quick do you you said people are reaching out to you they're calling do you have programs where you could teach people how to be more self-sustainable you know can they visit your farm learn and go back home and start creating this with people at home how does that work
1: yeah well sure we have an entire um you know educational outreach so you know i've written 14 books so that's a good start, and uh, of course, there's a lot of YouTube stuff. But we do we do intensive seminars here. We do almost monthly uh, what we call the lunatic tour. These are hay hay ride hay wagon tours, uh, and so yeah, we have a we have a pretty uh, broad platform um, of of educational outreach. There's a lot of options there, and uh, so yeah, people that are interested need to just jump on one of those.
0: And again what you're doing at your farm there really is no need to feed the animals genetically modified food you're not pumping them with antibiotics synthetic hormones i mean
1: all of this is just not in your world correct no it's not it's not and our production and yet our production is is right there with any in fact it's higher it's substantially higher uh, partly because we're stacking uh, – we're, we're, I'm going to use a powerful word here. It's, it's segregation. That's a powerful word. But our, our industrial system segregates everything. It segregates the eaters from the growers. <laughs> it segregates the animals from the plants. It segregates the, uh, the manure, the, the blessings of manure and urine from the, from the crops that you know, that, that, um, that produced it. It separates fertility from plants. You know, uh, I mean, so so everything in our in our industrial system is segregated. What we want to do is integrate. We want an integration program so that rather than having everything broken apart, we're actually bringing things together very very closely. I mean, this is the beauty of backyard chickens. Um, I you know, I'm I'm a big fan of what I call kitchen. It's a little bit hard to say kitchen chickens, because, um, you know, if you if you have a couple, three chickens in your house eating food scraps, uh, you know, they'll eat your food scraps. Now you don't have to send anything to the landfill and they give you a couple of eggs every day. So now you have eggs and you don't have landfill, you know, you don't have uh, uh, garbage to send to the landfill. Everybody wins that way. And, and if you have teenagers in the house, what better role model for teenagers? Chickens are the first animal that wakes up in the morning. They always wake up happy. They spend all day turning trash into treasure. And as soon as the sun goes down, they go to bed. What a perfect role model for teenagers.
0: Yeah, yeah that's, that is, that's great, Joel. Why don't you, just for a moment, I don't know why my mind went there. I remember you once describing, I think it was probably in video, I was just really drawn in. I know it might be a little tricky in this audio-video type thing to describe it without you being on the farm, but can you just describe that dance, if you will, about how you rotate the animals, like the bigger animals and how they're mowing the grass, they're chewing it up, and then you bring in in the smaller guys later? Can you just kind of go through that a little bit? Because it's really fun for people to understand. Like, you use this word, integration, not loosely
1: you live it every day yes yes in fact we we even call we even call it ballet on the pasture it's literally a choreography so so you so you have you have solar energy that comes down and grows biomass in our case would be grass clover you know forbs all sorts of plants those plants have a life cycle that that responds positively to strategic timely pruning. Just like a, a an apple tree or a grapevine responds to pruning, so the biomass, the, the forage type biomass responds to pruning like you like a lawn mowing, okay? And so we bring we bring the cows through um, and and the cows are moved every day onto small paddocks. Uh, in what we call mob stocking, herbivorous solar conversion, lignified carbon sequestration, fertilization, and and they prune it, and of course they're leaving manure behind. So then behind the cows come the eggmobiles, the chickens. Then like the egret on the rhino's nose, the chickens then scratch through the cow patties and eat out the fly larvae, spread out the cow patties so they actually fertilize the ground, and you have this. Uh, uh, and so and and then the chickens of course they're eating the grasshoppers and crickets that are now exposed from the pruning and and laying eggs as a byproduct of pasture sanitation so that's the kind of complex relational integration that we're talking about where the animals do the work and and fulfill meaningful you know meaningful um, distinctive responsibilities so the chickens now they're not just they're not just egg layers they're actually, um, co-laborers and team members in this great land healing ministry. You know, it completely changes our emotional and spiritual relationship with them as well.
0: It's just so great. I hope after this show, it turns on so many people to, at the very least, connect with their local farmer because they're going to be healthier. So I'm leading somewhere with this, and I'd love for you to speak to it. I know you can. This whole idea that these, you know, we've said it a couple times already, these happy, healthy animals, that now you have food that human beings eat, what a radical concept. They become healthier human beings instead of this pro-inflammatory way of living where we are killing every bug, we're chemicalizing the soil, we're doing monocrop agriculture, all this sickening stuff. When people get sick, they're getting drugs, they're killing their gut with antibiotics, they're killing the animals with all the drugs. I mean, it's just this vicious cycle. Instead of, if people ate the kind of food that you raised, Joel, they would literally see, like, just as one example... The omega three, six, and nine balance, right? All of a sudden, it would be better because they're consuming an animal that is a better quality food, a better nutritional profile. Fair to
1: say? Oh, a- absolutely. We've actually uh, participated in numerous, numerous studies uh, o- over the years to, um, you know, to you. You can now measure nutrient analysis. Uh, we actually participated with 11, 11 other farmers in the U.S. back I don't know what, about eight years ago with Mother Earth News magazine. They, they they got tired of being told, oh look, an egg is an egg is an egg. What difference does it make? And so they got 12 of us to send our eggs to a lab, uh, to a food lab, and um, we measured about measured about 10 things. I'll just pick out one. Folic acid. Folic acid is real important, especially for uh, pregnant women, and um, and the the USDA uh, nutritional label um, official label says there's like 48 micrograms per egg, and our our polyface at pastured eggs uh, averaged 1,038 micrograms per egg. I mean, th- th- this, this is not a, a percentage increase; it's a magnitude increase. Um, you know, a uh, riboflavin riboflavin in grass finished about 300 percent higher than grain-finished beef, than than feedlot beef. What's the importance of riboflavin? Well, riboflavin uh, is especially the B vitamin, one of them, that is a stress reducer. Uh, And so you, you know, think about right now, right now in the world and in our country, think about the stress factors in our country right now. And if there's a time when you want stress relief, you want riboflavin. And sometimes I think I think the, the the fact that we have so you know shootings and road rage and, and and things going on like we do is because people are depriving themselves of riboflavin by not eating grass finished beef. Uh, conjugated linoleic acid is another one uh, that that's huge. The whole uh, polyunsaturated, saturated, unsaturated uh, um, um, profile, you know, r- r- ratio um, is completely contingent on exercise, and on green material, the carotenes, the carotenes that are in the green material. That's what we call this, we call our beef salad bar beef to try to help people to understand this is not feedlot beef, it's salad bar beef. We call our chickens pastured poultry. We're moving them every day to know to a fresh spot. They're not on a dirt yard, they're not on a confinement house. Um, and, And so that, that green, just like for us, the greens have all these antioxidants and all these things that that um, that are help immunological function. Uh, you, I'm sure, Jonathan, you remember. Oh goodness, what it was about uh, seven years ago when that high path avian influenza came across the Indochina and even you know started knocking on the door of Europe. At that time, um, uh, Great Britain did some did some feeding trials with poultry and found that if a chicken Eats two blades of fresh grass a day, they'll not get high path avian influenza. Now you would think you would think that some official, somebody somewhere, would have said, "Okay, you know, stop the presses. Uh, we're going to make sure all chickens get two blades of grass a day. You know, so we don't have to worry about this." But you know, it it, it never sees the light of day in mainstream media. It gets buried in little you know, uh, obscure publications and, you know, nobody sees it. And, and, uh, th- this is the kind of whatever censorship and, and, uh, squelching that the main, that the Orthodox narrative does on, you know, whenever there's a true, uh, a true truthful answer, uh, if it doesn't put money in the pockets of some big uh, corporation, it essentially gets, uh, sequestered and censored.
0: Okay, so Joel, let's get into this part, which I think is going to be a lot of fun for some people who really want to go a little deeper into a lot of the stuff that you're talking about here today. I mean, you're just literally scratching the surface. I'd love for you to talk about your brand new book. Tell us what it's called. What's the passion behind it? Why did you create it? Take it away, Joel.
1: (laughs) Well, the, the book is Beyond Labels. And uh, the reason it's so great is because I only wrote half of it. <laughs> the other half is written by Dr. Sina McCullough, who is a, a, uh, a PhD, you know, uh, nutritionist who actually got so um, immunocompromised from eating the standard American diet, even though she was well-educated, PhD, um, she, did not, she did not understand the things that you're talking about. And um, and and got so sick that her family was actually planning her funeral. That's how sick she was, and this and this drove her to use her her training to start you know looking at alternative paths. Fortunately, you know I I I grew up in a family that was completely um, you know unorthodox anyway. You know, I grew up on you know Mother Earth News, organic garden and farming magazine and uh, you know my dad was a, a vision my grandfather actually you know was a had compost piles and was a charter subscriber to Rodale Organic Gardening and Farming Magazine so here you've got you know one one completely uh I, I say you know non-chemical agriculture's in my DNA uh I'm coming from one one path and Cena, uh Dr. Cena, is coming from you know a very very orth you know, grew up on on Pepsi and pizza and and here here uh, we have converged at this point to where we've got a, a, a doctor and a farmer um, having a dialogue. So uh, the idea is beyond labels is to realize the amount of clever speak. And listen, if you're relying on labels for your food choices, you're probably extremely disconnected from your food. And so, so um, our goal in, in writing the book was to create a continuum, not to judge people, but to say, hey, are you eating out of the filling station? Okay, you're starting here. Are you going to the health food store? You're here, okay? Everybody is on a, on a place in this, in this continuum toward a, well, we'll just call it a paradise, of a, a paradise of, you know, uh, integrity, food, nirvana, okay? And, and so... Uh, so um, uh, uh, Cena and I essentially start the book uh, with, with, you know, with a person that's eating out of the filling station and we great, we, we take with these little practical bites. She, uh, she came up with that. It's a great, great little, you know, metaphor. We don't have chapters. They're practical bites. And, and so you, you progress on this continuum through now um, everybody is not going to end up where we ended up. And in fact, Cena and I, we don't do everything we espouse either. I mean, all of us have our little, you know, uh, whatever hypocrisies, if you will, but, but we went, we went all the way to an end um, so that we would, so that we would a have a, have a a destination on our roadmap and also so that we would challenge everybody, including ourselves to um, you know, to move to a place of maximum of maximum health, rather than just, well, I don't feel sick today. I must be okay. I mean, we've, we've got that idea uh, today that that so often, um, well, if, if I'm not sick, I must be okay. Uh, well, that's not good enough. What we want is we want to get up and not just, and not, just not feel sick.
0: You, you know, Joel, what you're talking about is so important. Back to what you said earlier about the fact that every single day, When someone, again, and I'm saying it just like you, with all due respect, if you're being lackadaisical about the kind of food you're eating day in and day out, and you're slowly going downhill in your nutritional makeup, what is making up you as a human being, when the stresses come like a bacterial or viral infection, and it's like, okay, let's go the immune system, come on, come to the rescue. It's like your body is going to literally be exhausted. It's not going to have that strength and that vitality to adapt, to respond. I'm sure that's what you see going on on your farm every day. That's what you're mindful of, is keeping the farm healthy, strong, active, and vibrant to deal with the Thousands of things you don't even see. And so it's so important, your message, that this is what we should be focusing on more than just therapeutics, injections, and just let's test people. And oh yeah, by the way, the whole global Western medicine mentality of, hey, if you're not sick, don't worry about anything. And when you are sick, come to see me then and we'll talk a little bit. That is way too late to take action.
1: Right, it is, and and of course, Cena and I, when we started, we started this project. Goodness, uh, a year and a half ago. It's been a good while. I mean, it took it took us most of a year just to agree on what we wanted to say and and to, uh, and agree on format. Lots of back and forth there. But uh, but we could we certainly could never have foreseen the um, the strategic launch of this right in the midst of this pandemic. So we we spend a lot of time in the book talking about immune function. How do you develop an immune system? And it's it, it's, it yes. Uh, so how do we get how do we get how do we make food decisions so that we know we're getting the, the very best we possibly can. Uh, so we're getting what, you know, maybe, maybe we could look, the average American is far more concerned about the purity of the gasoline in their automobile than the purity of the food that they're eating. And so, so the whole idea is to empower people to make so that you're making good decisions. But we, but we go farther than that. We, we talk about hydration, for example, most Americans are dehydrated. So we even have a, 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 a little piece on, on how to make sure you're getting enough water. Um, we even have a piece on forgiveness. Uh, you know, you, you you can be you can be um, uh, you know vengeful or hate. You know, full of hate, and you can eat as good as, as anything. But if you're full of hate and vengeful, you know, you probably have a suppressed immune system. Uh, if you're worried, okay. I mean, there there are it's it, it's it's a whole it's a whole host of things. And um, and so in the book, it, it, it's it's as if it's as if a farmer and this and this doctor, uh, this PhD, it's like you're sitting in a in a in a room and just listening in on us dialogue with each other. We decided to do it that way, uh, rather than rather than you know most co-authored books are a little bit a little bit stilted, you know, as as you can see. The two authors trying to push their, you know, push their different things into one, you know, one narrative, and we decided, you know what, we complement each other and we're so different. Let's just enjoy our different narrative, and let people get this more eclectic, you know, eclectic uh, dialogue. And um, and interestingly, uh, almost everybody that 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 reads the book uh, in the first in the first uh, page they find it a little bit jarring but within about five or six pages it it, it actually you actually start it works it, it, um, it it's like it's like there's a, there's a movement there because you know oh well you know um, joel's joel's going to add to the conversation if seen is talking and she's going to add as to the conversation if joel's talking and there's a certain uh, progression movement there that actually draws you in and 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 we've gotten a lot of really positive feedback From that kind of of dialogue type conversational format well i've known
0: you for a long time but without a doubt on a personal level i could just share with you and everybody listening that your message and what you're all about what you trying, what you've been teaching for years is so important today i'm going to do everything i can to get this out but i know it's ultimately going to be up to each and every person that listens to this program to take action. I hope at the very least they start by getting your book. How can they uh, get a hold of your book? Where do they go?
1: Oh, uh, you can get anywhere books are sold. I um, mean, you can go on Amazon. You can get it from our Polyface uh, store here. But uh, yeah, anywhere books are sold, you're, you're welcome to get it. And I so appreciate you saying it's up to the individual. That's one of the things that we stress in the book. You know, if you're waiting for a government agency to tell you how to eat, if you're waiting for a business to tell you how to eat, if you're waiting for a label to tell you how to eat, uh, you're going to be waiting a long time and you're probably not going to actually, you know, be satisfied. And so not until we take individual responsibility for our decisions are we actually able to, you know, to make the progress that we want to make. So I really appreciate your, your making that point. And it's, it's a very, it's a profound one. We, we all would love to, to say, well, uh, I'd be fine if, if, if those people there would make better decisions. If those people would do better, if, you know, blah, 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 uh, I could do fine. But ultimately, um, if we wait around for everybody else to make the right decisions, we're going to be very disappointed. And so we need to start making good decisions now for ourselves and for our families. A hundred percent, Joel. Beyond labels.
0: Go get the book. And by the way, real quick, Joel, if someone want to take a more, I don't know, I like to say radical. I don't think it's so radical. I do it every day, my wife and I, where we spend our dollars. But if somebody wanted to make a big change in the way they eat, can they actually order food from your farm, depending on where they are in the U.S.? I know we have people that listen in the U.K. and Canada and Australia and New Zealand those are our big marketplace of places where people listen to my programs. So, can you speak to that? Where can people? Uh, do they have the ability to order your food?
1: Yeah, if you're in the continental, we, we don't we don't export. But if you're in the continental U.S., the lower 48, we can ship anywhere in the U.S. Uh, on, on lower 48. Uh, yeah, anywhere in the mainland of the U.S. Uh, we, we ship. We ship. We ship weekly. And uh, our website is polyfacefarms.com. If you if you just start typing in P-O-L-Y, it'll usually pop right up. Uh, Polyface Farms, and it's a it's a very comprehensive website. Uh, you go there and find you know lots of in- interesting things. And and um, yeah, we we welcome we welcome anyone.
0: Joel, I know you've been on some big shows, Joe Rogan, the podcast, and all of that. I just want to share with you that I've been a big fan of yours for years and I really respect everything you're doing and I fully support it and I hope you keep going on for years and years the world needs you big time
1: thank you for having me you know our tribe desperately needs great great leaders and 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 voices you're one of them thank you for your leadership Jonathan and uh, look forward to uh, to getting with you again another day absolutely take care everybody